The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Dale Jarrett is going to win the Daytona 500. So nobody was talking. It was all in my hands as to what I needed to do. Wallace spins. Wallace's car goes on its nose. It went in the air, hit the ground, then flew back up, and I flew over the start-finish line. The Motor Racing Network presents the 1993 season, 25 years later. Mark Martin riding an unbelievable winning streak. I didn't realize when I won it because we were on such a roll. It was 10 years or 15 probably before I realized that I had won the Southern 500. The race winner, Rusty Wallace, and the championship driver, Dale Earnhardt, each carrying flags honoring their fallen friends, Alan Kulwicki and Davey Allison. Davey and Alan Kulwicki were on everybody's mind all year long, right to the very end. And we always had those flags in our truck. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Susie Armstrong. Welcome back to our 10th and final episode of MRN Presents the 1993 season, 25 years later. After trailing Dale Earnhardt by more than 300 points in the season standings, Rusty Wallace narrowed the margin to 82 after a solid performance at Charlotte Motor Speedway. With three races remaining, confidence was high for Wallace heading to Rockingham's North Carolina Motor Speedway. Well, the amount of wins was m monumental. It was unbelievable. It was water cooler talk all through the garage, how strong the two car was and how many races it's win. And I felt good to be behind the wheel because everything felt good. But the confidence level was getting higher and higher in, in the be behind. I honestly thought that, uh, you know, we can run him down and get him. Good afternoon, everyone, from the North Carolina Motor Speedway. Beautiful weather here has been all weekend, except for what showers we had for a, a little spell on Friday. And today we're in for a dandy of a race. The stakes are very high, as Eli touched on when we first came on the air there, for what's become a two-car shootout for the million-dollar-plus Winston Cup championship. Well, Rusty is excited about today's race. Uh, I think from talking to him just a little bit earlier, you think you got a chance to win today, Rusty? I think I do. I got a strong car today. Uh, I like the tie championship races. They're good. It gives us something to shoot for. I'm just uh, real excited to be to, to be racing Dale right now for this championship. I feel like he's the best driver out there, and if you can beat the best, uh, that feels good. Dale, the million and a half dollar question is: with just three races to go, you how do you handicap the championship chase? Well, I got to race uh, to try to win the race, but I'm you know racing that two car pretty close. And Russ and I have been awful tough competitors for the last couple of races, and uh, I think it'll be that way today. I think we'll be two pretty close together. From the 18th starting spot, Rusty Wallace worked his way to the front and was leading with 177 to go. That was another track that I went into with a lot of confidence, but that was one of the most tire-wearing tracks we ever ran on. The, the surface was real abrasive. You would always wear tires real bad, and so you were always having to keep the... As you accelerated off the corner, you just want to do everything you possibly could not to spin a tire so you wouldn't grind the rubber off the thing. and so. A lot of tire management was going on back and then, but again, that was another track that we had a great uh, base set up at where the, the springs and the shocks and the combinations that we run, the air pressure settings were something that we had a lot of success with. And that's just something when you come back to those tracks, you just rub on it just a little bit, just tune it a little, it wasn't, it wasn't taking a lot. And then you got to have good pit stops, you got to dodge all the problems during the race. And there we won our ninth and uh, my gosh, again, after I win number nine, there's old Buddy Parrott standing right next to me. He said, I told you, I told you. I said, it's not done yet, buddy. We, 
We're not at 10 yet. Rusty Wallace now cleanly to the end of the backstretch. He's down to the bottom of turn three and four. No traffic ahead. Rusty Wallace on his way. He'll be able to coast in from here. Rusty Wallace, nine Winston Cup wins this year. He is now to within 72 points of Winston Cup point leader Dale Earnhardt with two races remaining, Phoenix and Atlanta. Let's go down to Winston Kelly. Let's go to Dale Earnhardt first, Marty. 32nd place here today. Dale, look, you get the right front, right front uh, tires flat. Well, I, I was catching Rusty, and I was going real hard. Uh, I don't know whether I could have caught him, but the tire started going about 10 to go. And I could tell it because it wouldn't turn as good. Rusty beat us today. We had a good run starting 22nd. The guys did a good job all day. We sort of got on, and then we got off and got back on again. So we're happy about today. Rusty had a couple of years that just wasn't good. I mean, you know, people get older, and you get thinking, man, things are going to go bad. And then all of a sudden, uh, things have turned around. I mean, nine wins is a pretty good win for the year, even though you're chase, still chasing for the points. But uh, what changes in your mind when this starts happening? Well, it's just, uh, you know, when you got to uh, chase a championship, you got to run your rearing off. And uh, I've been driving as hard as I can. And nine wins and three poles and a world-class pit crew. I've been, we've really done everything we can do this year. Now we got two races to get uh, the championship if we can. And Dale's running so strong, unless he has a problem, he's going to go ahead and win it. But uh, if, even if he does, I can say that I've had a wonderful year. The penultimate race of the 1993 season was the Slick 5500 at Phoenix International Raceway. I guess the two key words here today will be points and pavement. And the points situation obviously is between Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt. The pavement situation is a brand new surface here at Phoenix. And nine times out of 10, all the drivers I've talked to over the years say when you come to a racetrack, the first time after they pave it, you usually see the best show that you see on that speedway because the pavement is green it has a lot of adhesion the cars stick real good harry gann i talked to a long time yesterday said you're going to see a lot of side-by-side -side racing here today as race morning unfolded so did the drama for dale earnhardt and richard childress racing crew chief andy petrie remembers the stress you see all these gray hairs in my head <laughs> about half of them came from that that morning uh, we had a problem with a brake caliper uh, it wasn't even a big problem it was just a kind of a small issue we had a leak um, so we were going through inspection when we discovered it, so we had to go out, come out of the inspection line and go back into the garage and fix it. So we did, and this, the guy that was our brake guy was just so meticulous about everything. He wanted to do everything just exactly right, so he, he took about four times longer to change that thing than I, I would have, and it was killing me. And, and so. I do remember that it got dangerously close to us not even making the start of the race. They did the national anthem with our spot on the grid empty. We were in the garage, still going through tech. And um, it, it did, it, it, I, that's the only race I can remember as a crew chief or crew member that we almost didn't start because we did, were out, out on the line in time. As the green flew, Dale Earnhardt started working his way forward from the 11th starting spot tangling with a few drivers along the way. Ken Schrader slips in turn two. Car got hit from the rear. Schrader goes to the outside of the track, ends up against the outside wall in turn two. He got in an altercation with probably more than one, but the, the one with Gordon, I don't remember as well as the one with Kenny Schrader. And we were pitted in the turn uh, at Phoenix in turn one and two. And so we couldn't really see the straightaway, but we had a really good view of the turn. And I remember seeing Dale get into the back of of Ken Schrader and spun him out, wrecked him. I mean, wrecked him. And I remember looking at our guys going, I put my hand on my eyes, like, oh my gosh. I said, he just wrecked him. I said, hey, we don't need to be making any enemies right now, right? So 
you know, maybe he got into Gordon too. I don't know, but it was he was pretty aggressive that whole day. Gordon's car running about a half a lane up the racetrack halfway through turns three and four. Barney looked like Earnhardt tried to cut down and get underneath him to grab a spot, and the car slid up on him. His right front fender tapped Gordon's left rear fender and sent Jeff around in a 360. Oh, I I remember this one very well. Yeah, that was that was called. Let let me uh, show this young rookie. You know what racing the cup series with a veteran is all about um you know phoenix was one of those tracks that i i liked it was never great for me but it was never really bad for me i, I always was a top 10 car and even though this was you know our first year uh it, i was having one of those days i was you know seventh to 10th and so earnhardt was, I don't remember if it was late in the race exactly what the lap count was, but I felt like it was a time where I needed to, to, to battle for that position. Dale felt different. <laughs> he thought I was I was pushing too hard or fighting him too hard for that position. He'd gotten underneath me, and we ran side-by-side side for, I don't know, a lap and a half, two laps, and we went into turn three, and somehow his bumper met my left rear and I was in the fence and he kept going. <laughs> That's what I remember. I remember what, what distinctly, besides the fact being wrecked and, and upset about what had happened, what I took out of it was don't race Dale Earnhardt side by side for too many laps or you're going to get wrecked. For Rusty Wallace, tire trouble deflated championship hopes in the closing laps. I remember going to Phoenix and thinking that uh, this is it. And I kept dropping air pressure in the right front tire. I was leading the race, but I, I could tell that the car deep into a run was is get tightening up. So I, I called across, I said, take me down one more pound on the right front tire. And I was getting down in the danger zone. I was, at that point, I was below what Goodyear wanted me to be at. And I went out and there it is. It took off and run perfect. It was really running great, but then, you know, the tires taking a lot of abuse and I really didn't know it was getting ready to take that much abuse uh, because I just had the air pressure so low but back then the lower you could stand the air deep in a run the faster you would go the better the car would handle and so I had those air pressures really low and it failed me and I remember Stu Grant from Goodyear coming up to me going I can't you did I can't believe you did that he was like feeling sorry for me I can't believe you did that we told you not to do that you know and I went down and blew the tire out and clobbered a wall and it killed me there there's a problem for Rusty Wallace. His car slows here in turn two. Several cars go by. Wallace drops to the inside on the back straightaway. We don't see any smoke or anything, but the car is certainly off the pace. Boy, the crew started scrambling, Joe. Rusty Wallace has a right front tire down, Eli. The front end of the car is dragging on the racetrack. He's having a devil of a time making the left turn around turns three and four. The right front casing of the tire completely off the rim. Sparks showering out from behind the car as now he gets a turn left down the pit lane. Rusty's crew chief, Buddy Parrott. That particular race was probably just he ran over something, you know, and 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 just had a had a flat tire. That was one of the races where I had decided that Rusty and I were going to be uh, part and company. You know, Rusty Rusty made a statement to me. Uh, I went to pick the pits that morning. Why'd you pick that pit? I said because I want to win the race. He said, we won enough races, I want to win a championship. So his ideas were that if we stopped here and Earnhardt went by us, 
he was right, then he got five points. If he was leading, you know, and if he crossed the start finish line before we did, because we pinned it back behind the pit, uh, the uh, start finish line. And so, and it made sense to him, but it made sense that I had an opening, a complete opening, because we'd qualified good. Might have been on the pole, I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, I decided that, uh, go man, here's a guy going to win 10 races. And, and uh, but I didn't win a championship, but maybe I should have listened to, to Rusty. As the laps wound down, a spirited battle developed between close friends Mark Martin and Ernie Irvin. Last lap, Mark Martin got up into the oil dry way on the top of turn three. Ernie Irvin caught him. He's underneath him now. They're side by side midway through three and four. That's the race for the lead. Here they come out of turn number four. Mark determined to stay up there. Ernie determined to take it away from him. That would have been a photo finish had it been the last lap. If you could be best friends with somebody, another driver, me and Mark were like that. And and we were kind of like Mutt and Jeff, and because it was like he was he was totally different than I was, and our wives got to you know got to liking each other and and our kids and and things like that, and and so it was really I mean I think I just gave a lot of respect to Mark um, just because you know he was a great racer, and I wasn't going to go in and move him out of the way, and was able to you know have a good race and was able to you know talk at the end of the race and not have um, not not have any problems. It was a lot of fun to race with Ernie because Ernie was a guy on talent level on, on Earnhardt's, one of the few that was on Earnhardt's level. And Ernie and I, off the racetracks, were real good friends. Probably the best race car driver friend I can remember ever having at that time. But, you know, probably wanted to beat each other worse because of that than we would have we didn't even know each other you know because we were we were best friends so uh the the competition between us was very fiery and we had a really good race of the the groove moved up the racetrack there um and i've never been very you know very good at at moving up the racetrack but or maybe it was just late in my career that i wasn't any good at it because i certainly was able to do you know move up the racetrack there and and uh, make enough speed to outduel Ernie, but we had uh, we you know we had our hands full with Ernie all day. Clear racetrack ahead. If Martin slips in three and four, Irvin will have the room to make a move. Here they come to the entrance of the corner now. Martin slides up. The Ruby's been taken for the last several laps. He's on his way off the corner. Ernie Irvin within a car lane. Ernie Irvin's not going to have enough time. Mark Martin, the third place Winston Cup point man, picks up victory number five of the year. Once the dust settled on the slick 5500 at Phoenix, Dale Earnhardt extended his point lead to 126 over Rusty Wallace. With one race to go at Atlanta, Wallace's championship chances looked grim. Good afternoon, everyone. From the Atlanta Motor Speedway, we are under overcast skies to ring down the curtain on the 1993 Winston Cup season. And Eli, there's so much to talk about here today. Of course, the Winston Cup championship still very much on the line. If Dale Earnhardt can post a 34th or better finish here, he'll be in good shape. But anything can happen as we talk about. Before cars hit the Atlanta Motor Speedway oval for practice, Dale Earnhardt's crew chief, Andy Petrie, had to calm the waters with Ken Schrader. We were talking about Phoenix and where he wrecked Schrader. And I bring this up because, you know, I, Kenny was it was kind of a, an acquaintance of mine, not quite a friend yet. He ended up being a close friend and still is today. But at that time, I, I remember I came to Atlanta first day in the garage. I was looking for Kenny because I, I, I witnessed Dale wreck him and I knew he did it. 
kind of on purpose, it looked like to me. And so I wanted to find Kenny to make sure that he wasn't going to retaliate at Atlanta, right? <laughs> so I find him, and he's mad. He's still plenty mad. And he said, oh, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And he said, I'm going to get him here. I said, and I said, please, please, Kenny, for my sake, I've never won a championship. This is my best shot. I'm begging you, don't pay him back. I know he deserves it. I saw it. He deserves to be paid back, but don't do it this week. Please wait till later. And he looked and says, he gritted his teeth and says, all right, but I'm going to get him sometime. <laughs> so, so that was, I think that might have been as key as anything for us. <laughs> keep, keep Kenny calm down. Once the air was clear with Schrader, Earnhardt got on the track for the first practice session of the weekend. My memory has us being, if not the first car on the track in practice, the one of the very first cars. I'm up on the hauler. I see him go flying down in turn one, and I don't think he lifted at all. I think he was just so pumped up, ready to go, but he just never lifted. And I mean, he almost made it <laughs> the corner, and that thing snapped at the end and tore it all to pieces, our primary car. I mean, within the first minute of practice. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm telling you, I'm up on the truck. I'm about to throw up, right? Uh. So now we got to get the backup car out. And we spend some time getting it ready, and um, we get it to go, you know, we make some laps with it in practice before qualifying. First laps, he goes back out there. He makes it through one and two, gets to three and four, and I see it turn sideways again. And I'm telling you, sir, literally almost threw up. <laughs> I'm like, no, I can't take anymore. And so he saves it, comes around. We, our tire guy, Will Lynn, was standing out there on pit road waiting on him to make the run. And he sees this, and he gets on the radio and says, does anybody have a bottle of Mylanta? <laughs> and I was thinking, man, I need it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that was tough. We, we, did it, we, we put a lot of effort in that primary car, you know, and, and we hadn't put much into the backup car, but it was good enough to do what we needed to do, which, you know, once that happened, we said, okay, let's settle down and realize what the big picture is. We only have to finish 32nd or better. Let's just, let's just go out there and be solid. Jeff Gordon's crew chief, Ray Everham. Dale Earnhardt was the first guy on the track, and I remember standing on top of the truck and heard Earnhardt shift and going on the backstretch, you know, like, rah, bah, bah. he got to turn three, and I think they put what they used to call bear grease, you know, they sealed the track, and the track was slick. Earnhardt spins out, backs in the fence, and I was like, oh, my goodness. So the caution's out, and I said, hey, Jeff, now look, when you go out, be careful, because I mean, Earnhardt just busted his butt there. Like, he just spun out. He wasn't even up to speed and spun out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, 24 leaves the pit area, bam, bam, down the back stretch, and it looked like a replay of what happened to the three car. Jeff goes, does the same thing, tears the car all up. Ray said to me, he goes, man, it is super slick. So back it way down, like just let's take a few laps to get some heat in the tires, get going, okay, okay, okay. I go down the back straightaway, I check up early, boom, I spin out right. I mean, that's how slick it was, but I'm sure in his mind, he's like, what the hell i told you to back it off and i was like man i thought i did like i i thought it was like hundreds of feet early that i had backed up the corner and still wrecked it was a pretty crazy day for rusty wallace's penske team the celebration of a successful season started early his crew chief buddy parrot remembers a trip to a local bar after qualifying on friday we had one of the damnedest parties you ever saw man I'll never forget Earl Barber and had that big old fat suit. You get the fat suit, and we were, they were out there wrestling and everything. And we run a bar tab up for about I think it was about about nine hundred and fifty dollars for a bar tab in a little hole in the wall bar, you know. 
So when we get back, we get back to Charlotte. Don Miller called me in his office. He said, man, what in the world? I said, what do you mean, Don? He said, look at, look at this bill I got on your credit card. $950 for bar bill? Hell yeah. I said, how many races we win? He said, 10, case dismissed. If you don't pay it, I will. <laughs> As race day rolled along, NASCAR Nation honored Alan Kulwicki and Davey Allison during the pre-race festivities. Here at the racetrack now, the Atlanta Motor Speedway, all the fans standing and looking on in quiet respect as race cars of Alan Kulwicki and Davey Allison make a lap around this racetrack. All the drivers in the field today, 42 strong, standing on the stage here at the start-finish line as everybody pays a final tribute again to a chapter of this season, Barney, that I don't think anybody is certainly going to miss as we move on to 1994. So it has been a year of tragedy for the Winston Cup family and uh, one that uh, everybody's had a hard time dealing with, but uh, they're paying tribute to two of our fallen comrades, so to speak, here this afternoon as the former Davy Allison car pulls up there along with Alan Kowicki's machine and the fans, as you said. Driving the Davy Allison show car was crew chief Larry McReynolds. It was pretty cool. Uh, we had a 28 show car there with Davy's name on it, and there was a seven car there painted up like Alan Kowicki. And I don't remember who drove the seven car, but I had the honor of, of driving the 28 car. Now this was before the race. And what we did, we started them at the start finish line and I drove around the racetrack the, the, the right way. And as we all know, Alan Kwicki made the backwards Polish victory lap famous. So I cannot remember, it was not Paul Andrews, but I cannot remember who drove that car. They drove the opposite way and we passed each other in the middle of the backstretch and then met back at the start finish line and they, they were playing some they were playing a song over the PA and I don't even remember what the song was but I I just remember what an honor it was that they had asked me would I you know I'm I'm not a race car driver I, I'm all, I was nervous could I make sure and get it cranked could I get the clutch popped out where I could get the thing rolling I knew if I could get it rolling I'd be okay uh, but what an honor it was to that they asked me to do that. Not too proud to admit, cried hard the entire lap. It was tough to do, but I was very honored that they asked me to do it. With the pre-race celebration over and engines fired, it was time for Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt to settle the championship battle. 93 laps on the scoreboard. Rusty Wallace doing everything he can do. All he can do is try to win the race, lead the laps, get as many bonus points as he can. And Dale Earnhardt's got to finish 35th or worse for him to win the championship. It's going to be a long day yet. As the Hooters 500 cycled through the early laps, heavy attrition had Andy Petrie and the number three Goodwrench team counting cars as they fell out of the class. On lap 134, the eighth car retired to the garage. At the Atlanta Motor Speedway, pit stops are underway, while at the same time, T.W. Taylor has climbed from his race car. Should he not return, he'd be the eighth retiree of the day, giving the Winston Cup championship to Dale Earnhardt. Well, we took so, so you know, we, we're sitting there, and I don't remember exactly how many cars started, but I was counting how many needed to fall out of the race before us to guarantee that 32nd place finish. And so I'm down to like, the, you know, and everybody, nobody on the crew said a word, right? We're just sitting there on the wall. I, was, I wasn't even on the pit box. I was kind of down on the wall. And um, another car falls out of the race and pulls in the garage. And I'm like, I was like, dang, I think, you know, I think that might have been the one, you know. 
And I hadn't said anything. I didn't want to get excited. But then Chocolate comes up to me, Chocolate Myers, taps me on the shoulder and says, I think that was the one we needed. <laughs> and I said, I think it was too. And so about that time, they announced that we had clinched the championship. So we were celebrating in pits before the race was over. As the 1993 season drew to a close, Darrell Waltrip tapped into fuel strategy and found himself leading the Hooters 500. Now the only activity is the crew members talking to Darrell Waltrip about how long they believe he can go. It's very iffy at this point. Let's see if we can get a comment from Barry Dotson right now. Barry, do you try to make it all the way? Well, we're going to try. You know, we got to slow down to make it, and that lets Rusty catch us. So it's a tough situation we're in, but we're having fun. It's, it's exciting. The year's over. We're proud of this Western Auto team. They're getting better every week. Well, I had good people, and I had good cars. We had really, really good race cars. Uh, Gary Dehart, Eddie Dickerson, a bunch of guys that all eventually went to work at Henry Motorsports all worked for me at that time. So we built great race cars, but we were just a little underpowered that year. But fuel mileage, that was my, you know, that was my, uh, that was my thing. Uh, always knew how to get a little bit more go a little bit further on the same amount of fuel as everybody else. I could milk it a little bit better than everybody else. And we almost won Daytona again because of fuel mileage, Atlanta, a couple other races. Things worked out a little bit differently. Well, we could have won some races, but we didn't, and uh, that was a tough year. Here comes Waltrip to the stripe. He's going back to the corner now with four laps to go. Wallace a car length behind. Wallace peeks down to the inside of Darrell Waltrip, coming in turn number one. Waltrip is there, slamming the door, can't make the move now. Wallace now slides down to the inside of Darrell Waltrip, and Wallace will go by and take the lead. So Rusty Wallace moves back out in front as they come halfway down the back straightaway. He's got a little bit of clear racetrack ahead of him now as he works into the banking of turn three and four. You got to give old DW a lot of credit, and also his team of planning the strategy. As we said, they don't have a whole lot to lose. He lost the lead. He's, he's obviously going to lose the race if Rusty keeps running like he is. Rusty Wallace held on to win his 10th race of the season. Waltrip has lost ground. Now he dives for the bottom. Waltrip is out of gas as they come down the back straightaway and Rusty Wallace comes into turn three. He's on his way with the checkered flag in sight. Old Darrell Waltrip comes up a half lap short, but Rusty Wallace will win his 10th race of the year. Dale Earnhardt wins the 1993 NASCAR Winston Cup Series championship. Well, my 10th victory at Atlanta was a real, I mean, we were so aggressive that day because I was doing everything I could to beat Earnhardt. I was just really just doing everything. I sat on the pole that day. I said, I got to sit on the pole. I got to lead the most laps and I got to win the race. And I did all that. I sat on the pole. I think if you go back to the records, it's going to show I led the most laps and I won the race. And it was all said and done. I pulled into victory lane. Here comes Buddy Parrott running over and he's like, we won the 10th. At the end of the year, last race, we win. And we won our 10th victory in 93. And it was an amazing year. Uh, but still wasn't enough points to get Earnhardt. But boy, I tell you what, I went out in style. You know, I went out doing it. I said, we, made a, we said, we got to do this to win. And we did it all. And uh, still came up short. After the checkers, Wallace drove his Penske Pontiac on a victory lap to pay tribute to Davey Allison with Dale Earnhardt close by in honor of Alan Kowicki. And now in tandem, going the opposite way, the race winner, Rusty Wallace, and the championship driver, Dale Earnhardt, each carrying flags, honoring their fallen friends, Alan Kowicki and Davey Allison. Wallace and Earnhardt, side by side, flags waving, making the victory lap in honor of their fallen friends. Davey and Alan Kowicki were on everybody's mind all year long, right to the very end. And we always had those flags in our truck. 
those trucks were in our pit box. They were uh, around. And so when that happened, uh, it was, I don't know who triggered to say, go get a 28 flag or get a whatever, but I know for a fact that we were ready with the Allen Quickie flag. Uh, I, I was carrying Allen's uh, memory with the Polish victory lap at about every every win. So I think it was actually Buddy Parrott or uh, Billy Wilbur uh, or one of the guys on the team that said, hey, I'm bringing a flag out. And then I'll be son of a gun if I look over and there's uh, there is uh, Earnhardt. And it was uh, an incredible look, uh, looking back at it now to see those cars. There's the, the winner of the race and the champion of the race driving around with the flags in a car. Real, real, real super emotional day, I remember. And incredible and I'll never forget the day that uh, Earnhardt you know lost his life in 2001 at Daytona and one of the, the following races not the following race but a couple it was the uh, the California 500 I won the California 500 and uh, the guys come flying out with a three flag and I did the reverse Polish victory lake carrying the three flag around the racetrack in California so it's just something that all drivers do out of, out of respect. As Wallace celebrated in Victory Lane, Dale Earnhardt was rejoicing in his sixth Cup Series championship. That big Earnhardt grin is a glow right now. Dale, it's number six. How does number six feel? Feels great. Uh, thank the Lord and all the great race fans for number six and everything. All the support they give us all year have been great. And his good ranch team has uh, done, done super. and. Uh, I know we didn't win as many races as Rusty. Congratulations to him. He tried awful hard, but uh, these guys just uh, kept kept on ticking, and uh, I'm really proud of my team, really proud of everything we've done this year, and I look forward to 1994, and, and uh, I feel good about it. Here's Andy Petrie. Andy, they told me that they were going to give you a sedative before today's race. Did you need it? I've needed one of the last two weeks. I haven't slept in the last two weeks, but, uh, they, you know, I think I'll have a good night tonight. This has been a wonderful experience and it looks like it's just now starting. For me, it was it was my best year as a crew chief. You know, I, I, I'd been here against crew chief. We'd won races and, and experienced a lot of that. But, you know, my ultimate goal was to be a championship crew chief. And, and you know, I still look back on that season, how everything worked out. We won six races, won, you know, won the championship. And the only, probably the only downside was losing the 500. But, you know, th besides that, I mean, it, it couldn't have been a better season. Looking back on the 1993 season, 25 years later, drivers and crew chiefs reflect on that dramatic year in many different ways. Hendrick Motorsports driver, Jeff Gordon. Well, of course, the Daytona 500 was a, was a fond memory. To be that competitive, you know, to, to sort of introduce yourself to the fans in the Cup Series in, in the biggest race of the year, and, and to win the 125, then, you know, to be racing, it, it certainly took my recognition and, and my respect within, within the, the, the cup garage to another level. So that was cool. That stands out. Man, I, I forgot about some of those second place finishes and runs that you talked about. But I, I think that for me, it was just a huge learning curve. You know, I felt like it, I tore up a lot of equipment. I was fast before that would happen, but I, I just had so much to learn. And that was the year that, that I, I did that in. You know, you see some drivers come in and and maybe you don't see them go through that their first year. You see them go through that their second year. And then their third year, things take off. For me, I learned everything in my first year. 
And then a little bit more in the second year, we started getting to victory lane. Then by year three, man, I was ready to go. Gordon's crew chief, Ray Everham. It was really a great learning environment. The early years for us were good because we didn't know how much we didn't know. And it was it was pure racing and and fun and just an honor to be there. You know, certainly there was pressure uh, to win and, and, and to run well. But again, it'd be like if you get drafted to the you know, the NFL or Major League Baseball, you know, your first year is your rookie year. You're just such in awe of, of, of the opportunity to be there, uh, first of all. And you look back and think, man, you know, it was fun because we just we just didn't know how much we didn't know. Joe Gibbs Racing's Dale Jarrett. Yeah, I, I, I think that everyone looked around and had not only ourselves at, at Joe Gibbs Racing uh, saying that, you know, we've put together, uh, Jimmy Makar did a great job of putting together a, a tremendous team and the effort that was put forth that, that we have a championship caliber team. And, uh, you know, we were still getting chassis and bodies and engines from, from Rick Hendrick and his organization, uh, you know, making some modifications modifications on our own but you know there were a lot of things that that um, that we saw as positives that that we could build on and, and so we fully expected that from that point forward we were going to be battling for championships and just when you think you know what's going on then the next year might not turn out the way that you want that's the way it happened for us but but we ended in 93 on a very positive note uh, i mean to take a second year team i don't know that it happened many times that just in the second year that that teams came in especially of course there had been no football coaches before but you know but Joe Gibbs you understand being around him that he's going to be successful at whatever he does but I think it great it it, it was kind of a foreshadowing of what was to come for Joe Gibbs racing uh, in the future but to do that in the second year I think opened a lot of people's eyes and, and we were very excited about what we were able to accomplish. Sabco Racing's Kyle Petty. I think I remember that year more and we'll always remember that is you know, it was a Mella Yala car, um, which is working with Robin, working with John. That was probably the pinnacle of our, my time with Felix. It was a good season. wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of controversy. wasn't a lot of stuff that went on internally in the team. You know, I think sometimes you look back at a team and you say, "Man, I don't know how we got through that year without killing each other." Um, I think that year for us was was just a fun year. Um, we just had fun. Um, it, it's kind of like I said, you get. We go on a motorcycle trip. You get out of the car after you win Pocono, and you got a camera. I mean, we, we did stuff. You go to Indy, you got a camera. Yeah, you're having fun. We rode motorcycles to races. It was to be 32, 33 years old. Robin's about the same age. John was, the, we're all the same age. A bunch of 30-year-olds that somebody's giving you, a, Coca-Cola's giving you a million, million and a half dollars to go race on because that's all it costs at that point in time. And then you got Felix who's letting you do what you want to do. It's like, man, the kid in the candy store there for a couple of years. So I think it was, I think that was the last really, really, really fun year to be in the sport. After that, it got a little bit more intense. Roush Racing's Mark Martin. I look at it as uh, a, a, a battling season of a race team that was very intense, worked desperately hard, and had enormous amount of disappointment, uh, and yet we won a bunch of races, led a bunch of races, and we were really fast. We were really fast, and we and we closed the deal. Uh, I don't know what it was, five times or five, five, I guess we won five races. So we closed the deal five times in a season that was frustrating and, 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 and was full of a lot of disappointment. So 
I'd say lots of highs and lots of lows for 93. Team Penske's Rusty Wallace. I remember thinking back and going, boy, I wanted to blame everything on the, the, uh, the Talladega wreck with the broken wrist. And that, that obviously that started it because, you know, it was three or four races after that that bad luck continued. But still there was bad stuff after that. So you couldn't put it all on that. But I remember after it was all done, there was amazing amount of talk in the press, like how can somebody win 10 races and not win the championship? How can you win that many races, not win? The point system's messed up. We got to change the point system. And I remember winning that many races just started that controversy. I never thought about that at all. But it was a race that created controversy with that many wins about is the point system correct? Is it something that should award a winner more? Should a winner who wins a race, instead of only getting five more points than the second place car, should he get 10 points or should he get 15 points? And that, that race is actually... If you look back, that's one of the races that started all this conversation about uh, monkeying with the points, and ultimately we ended up we are where we are right now. 1993 will be remembered for many years to come as one of the most dramatic seasons in NASCAR history. We hope you've enjoyed MRN Presents the 1993 season 25 years later. Be sure to check out other great programs on MRN.com like Richard Petty's Road to Royalty and Junior's Journey. Until next time, I'm Susie Armstrong. Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The 1993 season 25 years later was written and produced by Rich Culbreth. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.